welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Peter asked Jesus how many times he had to forgive someone who wronged him. Do you have a limit, or are you perhaps worried that someone else has a limit? Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series, Joseph, God's Prevailing Goodness, with this sermon entitled, The Power of Forgiveness, which covers Genesis chapter 45. For more information, to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Kate me Falta, 100,000 welcomes from Ireland. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, make everyone get out of from here. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years. And there yet are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and the ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and you and your children, your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now... Your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. After this, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Dan. Let's read aloud together our prayer of illumination. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort for your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Let me pray for us again. I know we just pray collectively together, but let me pray again. Ask the Lord to bless 
this time in his word. Father, we do give you this time. We do ask you to bless it. Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can in opening our hearts and our, our, our eyes to see, perceive, understand, grasp, digest the word of the Lord and behold the beauty of Jesus. Would you do it all for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. My first day on staff at Perimeter Church was June 15th, 2015. I remember it well. And um, I remember it well for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because of what happened two days later, not in this church, but in another church not all that far from here. You may remember it as well. It certainly was a, a grievous moment in the life of our country and something that we don't want to recount very often. But on June 17th, 2015, young man by the name of Dylan Roof walked into the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and he sat, and for 45 minutes, sat with a small group where they studied the Bible. When those 45 minutes were up, he then proceeded to take out a gun and begin shooting. When his rampage was over, nine people were killed. And as awful and as shocking as that is, and evil as that is, it really probably wasn't the most shocking part of the story. Because the, the most shocking part of the story came two days after that, June 19th, 2015. Just two days after these heinous murders, the loved ones family and friends of those who had been slain gathered together in a courtroom. And the powers that be had situated it to where they had Dylan Roof standing in front of a camera in another room where he could see the courtroom and those in the courtroom could see him. And the family members of these, these loved ones who they had lost did something truly profound. They forgave him. The first family member of one victim stood and through tears said this, I just want everyone to know, and then paused and turned straight to the camera as if to look straight into the eyes of Ruth. To you, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I'll never be able to talk to her again, never be able to hold her again but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people, but God forgives you. I forgive you. Another man stood, family member of another victim, and said, I forgive you and my family forgives you, but we'd like for you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ. He can change you. He can change your ways no matter what has happened to you. Yet another family member of another victim stood and said, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge I am very angry at you. But we are a family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. See, Dylan Roof was filled with all kinds of things, hate and malice, racism, 
anger, rage, whatever, all, all the things that would lead someone to do something like that. But in a much different way, those family members were filled with something astonishing, were they not? They were filled with something that makes no sense, such that you would look at them and, and say, they're crazy. How and why would they ever express something like that? Why? Because we, you, even now, even hearing that story, probably like me, what you feel is anger. And what do you most want? Naturally, intrinsically, what do we most want? Well, we want revenge, right? We, we want justice. That's our bent. That's what we're going to long for in a situation like that. And appropriately and understandably so. We have to remember, as hard as it is, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Nevertheless, this is who we are. We want that vengeance. Yet, yet one of the distinguishing marks of someone who follows Jesus is how they forgive. Because, don't miss this, because if you are united by faith to a forgiving God, then we become a forgiving people. That's how it works. In the same ways that he forgives, in unthinkable ways, we too, because he dwells within us and we're united to him, we forgive in those same tremendous ways ways. We see it so very clearly in this Joseph story. We're going to finish up the Joseph story this morning and kind of like uh, a movie perhaps where we've seen the whole story laid out for us as we got through chapter 50 last week. Sometimes in movies they'll do that, they'll lay out the whole story, but then they'll go back in and zoom in to just one little part of the plot to see this is a significant moment that set the trajectory for the rest of the story. And we're doing that, we're gonna zoom in, we're gonna go back to chapter 45, zoom in on what Joseph does with his brothers, the forgiveness from Joseph to his brothers. Now, you may remember, if you've been in the series, if this is your first Sunday with us and you're not as familiar with the story, here's the very short of it. Joseph was favored by his father, his older brothers, his 10 older brothers hated him because of it. They wanted to kill him. So they threw him into a pit, ripped off this robe that, that his father had given him to show that he was the favorite, blipped, uh, dipped it in blood so that their father thought that he had been killed by a wild beast and they sold him into slavery. Over the course of many years in, the, in, in slavery there in Egypt, Joseph slowly, and I won't go into all the details, you can listen to the previous sermons, you can read this story starting in chapter 37 of Genesis, but he rises to power through God's good design and purpose for his life. And here we are 17 years later, and he's ruling over all of Egypt, second only in command to Pharaoh, but yet Pharaoh has taken a back seat to Joseph and has given the, the country, so does the kingdom, to Joseph to run. And his brothers now have come before him, seeking food. 
because there's a, land, there's a famine in the land. Egypt, because of the, the, the dreams that God had given the Pharaoh, Egypt is the only place in all the world that has stored up enough food to supply food to the, the neighboring kingdoms and countries. So Joseph's brothers have been sent by their father down to Egypt to, to get grain, and Joseph is the one who is in charge of all this, but yet they don't know it. They don't know it's him. They don't recognize him. Why? Well, because he's now looks, he looks very Egyptian now. He doesn't look like a Hebrew. He's speaking their language. He's not speaking the Hebrew language anymore. They don't recognize him. And as we get to chapter 45, we're going to watch five things happen over the course of how we see Joseph extend forgiveness to his brothers. Now, you're not going to see the word forgiveness in the text. You're not going to see the sentence, and Joseph forgave his brothers, but it's written all over the story. It's the posture, if you will, of the text. It's the posture of Joseph. Here's the first thing that we watch happen. It's astonishment. First, in the way of Joseph. Joseph is astonished. He's astonished at what he has just heard at the end of chapter 44 from his older brother Judah. If you go back a couple of weeks in this series, you might remember us talking about Judah and how Judah went from being the scoundrel that we read about in chapter 38 of Genesis, where he slept with his daughter-in-law thinking he was sleeping with a prostitute. and She ends up pregnant with his twins really messed up stuff, and this is who Judah is, but to where now, over the course of time, by chapter 44, we're seeing a transformed Judah in some respects. We're seeing a Judah that's not all about himself, but rather willing to substitute himself for the life of his younger brother, Benjamin. And he's telling all of this to Joseph, but he doesn't know it's Joseph. And Judah is saying to Joseph, take me instead. Don't take Benjamin Take me. You have to understand the story in its context to understand exactly what's going on there, but it's significant, so significant that Joseph now is astonished at what he's hearing from this brother of his who used to hate him, who is a big part of the plot to throw him into the pit and sell him into slavery. And he's so overwhelmed by what he's just heard from Judah, he just can't take it anymore. Because verse 1 of chapter 45 that we just had read a moment ago, we're going to walk back through certain aspects of this text. and Listen to what Joseph says. Or what it says about Joseph. Verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers, if you've been reading along since chapter 37, perhaps you're reading on your own and you get to this point and, you, and it's that point in the story where you go, finally, I've been waiting for this. He finally lets them know, it's me. It's me, it's Joseph. It's, it's, it's the one that you sold into slavery that you have probably presumed that I was dead. You never thought you'd see me again. Hey, I'm here. Verse 2, and he wept aloud. I remember, remember I told you a few weeks ago, you're going to see Joseph cry and weep a lot in this story. He wept so loud that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. His very first question, is my father still alive? 
But now we see the astonishment of the brothers. Watch what the brothers do. But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. That word dismayed can be translated a number of ways. It can be disbelief. It can be astonishment. It can be terror. There's a part of it that they're terrified. Why? Because they go, oh, no. He's still alive, and he's not just alive. He's ruling all of Egypt. We are done. He is going to have his vengeance. But they don't say that because they can't speak. They're absolutely dumbfounded. They're astonished. Joseph has just dropped the biggest of bombshells on them. I am Joseph, your brother. Is my father alive? And this is their response. They can't speak. They're frozen. Can't believe what they're witnessing, who they're seeing. They're astonished. They're also terrified. So what does Joseph do next? Well, he extends an invitation. Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And, and I, think, I think he said it very similar to how I just said it. Don't, don't just read words on a page. Try to put yourself there. Try to hear the voices, the tone of the voices, the facial expressions, the hand gestures, the, the ways in which this conversation might have gone down. And I think Joseph, in that moment, it was not this, I'm the ruler of Egypt, authority, come here. It wasn't that. I think it was this tender, compassionate face of mercy. Brothers, come here, please. Would you come, would you come closer? One of the reasons I think it was that way is because It says in the very next sentence, and they came near. They did it. In their astonishment and fear, they did take steps towards him and listen to what Joseph says. He says again, I am your brother, probably because he's thinking they didn't hear me the first time. Or they clearly heard me, but they are in such shock, I need to say it again. He says, I am your brother, Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now, he's not letting them get out from underneath the responsibility of what they did. You sold me into slavery. But then watch this. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Again, try to hear the tone of voice. Try to hear the heart of compassion because... They're terrified that he's going to exact revenge on them. And what is he concerned about? He's saying, don't be angry at yourselves. Don't be distressed in your own heart, to which is probably for them more astonishment. That he's, he's saying, don't be angry. We think he's going to be angry, but he's telling us not to be angry with ourselves. Who is this guy? But there's a very good reason why Joseph is saying that. 
Why he's saying, don't be angry or distressed with yourself. Here's why, because he's aware. That's the third thing that we notice here. His awareness, what is he aware of? He's aware that there is a sovereign God. This is last week's teaching. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. Randy led us into it. That there is a sovereign God purposing, providentially purposing every minute detail of his life to orchestrate his purposes for the betterment of his people and to the glory of God. And Joseph knows this. It's been 17 years since he was sold into slavery. And over the course of 17 years, he has come to believe with all of his heart that God is in every bit of this pain. God is in every bit of the betrayal that I experienced from the hands of my brothers. He is in every bit of the wickedness. He is in every bit of the forgotten moments where the cupbearer and the baker forgot about me. He is, he is in the jail cell with him. He is in chains with him that every minute millisecond of Joseph's circumstances were actually orchestrated by God. And he believes it. And he knows it. And that's why he can say to his brothers, don't be angry at yourselves for what you did because God renders miracles from your sin. It's who God is. That's what he does. What you intended for evil, God meant for good. We have to remember. We have to think, okay, what was true of Joseph's story is true of mine. That in the midst of every second of pain that I experience and every second that I've been betrayed and every relationship that has wronged me and every way in which my sin and other sins has brought upon me calamity, I cannot let myself believe for a moment that God isn't in it because he's either sovereign or he's not. He's either providentially purposing all things or he's not. We don't pick and choose which things God reigns over and which ones he doesn't. He's not just sovereignly purposing and reigning over all the good things and the bad things he's hands off. He purposes it all, some of which we won't know and see and rejoice in. Don't miss that rejoice in until we're in glory. But we will rejoice in it. Sometimes on this side of heaven, sometimes there. Joseph is aware because what does he say to him? Watch what he says next. Don't be angry with yourselves. For you sold me here. Why? For God sent me before you to preserve life. God did it. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So, brothers, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. God did this. It's a challenging thing to believe that whatever you're walking through right now, whatever is weighing on you the most, that's so hard, that's so difficult, that's so painful, the woundedness that you've experienced, that there's, an, and this is the key part, there's a loving God, loving, who has purposed it. Listen, the throne room of God is not like a casino hall in Vegas. 
He's not up there rolling dice hoping that it lands good for you and for him. He's a loving God who's purposing everything for our good and for his glory. And the good that he sees now, we may not see, but we will. Not in this life, certainly in the next. Joseph's aware of that. And because he's aware that there is a loving, sovereign God purposing every minute detail of his life, it actually allows him to posture posture himself before his brothers in a compassionate way. But then we watch Joseph do something really unthinkable. He's so generous with them. He's so generous with them. He doesn't doesn't just forgive them and then tolerate them. He, He doesn't just forgive them and then dismiss them. You know, you don't see Joseph do what we might do, which is, hey, God was in this, so I'm not gonna hold this over your head because I trust that the Lord was purposing all this. So look, God did this, but I'll tell you what, I'm not dealing with you I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm certainly not going to be nice to you. And in fact, just get out of my sight. Here's some grain, leave. He doesn't do that. Watch what he does. Look at verse 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen is the most fertile green part of Egypt. You think Egypt, you think desert. But you go up towards the Nile, the delta, the mouth of the Nile. Green, that's where Goshen is. It's the best of the land. For shepherds. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. He forgives, which is astonishing enough, but then on top of that, he is profoundly generous. Go home, get dad, and then bring all the family, and then I'm gonna give you the best of land and the best of stuff so that you thrive here, and I will personally make sure it happens. Give it all to you. we start seeing something at play here that is actually a theme throughout the Bible and certainly true of the gospel, which is that when we ground ourselves in forgiveness, generosity is just one little small step away. People who forgive, give. Then watch how the fifth thing happens that we get to observe, it's intimacy. Having forgiven his brothers, it says, verse 14, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, more weeping. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. 
After that, his brothers talk with him. They've been silent this whole time. They just couldn't speak. And listen, again, put yourself in the story. This is slobber down the face, snot out the nose, wet, slimy, I don't care who's watching, crying going on here. This is, this is a restoration of intimacy that actually never was there. Right? Even, when, even before he was sold into slavery, they hated him. They were, they were never like this with Joseph. But having just been forgiven, what's the response? It's like... I, I don't know what to do. I have these emotions. Let them out. Let them out. Cry on me. I'll cry on you. This is a work of the Lord. They wept together, and intimacy is realized on the coattails of forgiveness. It's a beautiful picture we have here. Astonishment, invitation, awareness, generosity, intimacy. How could Joseph love like this? How could he forgive like this? Well, the only explanation is because he knows the only one who intrinsically by nature loves and forgives like this. It's not humans. It's God. And he's united to this God. And when people are united by faith to a forgiving God, they become a forgiving people. But we have to see the rest of the story. Because Joseph is a beautiful story in and of itself. It's a true story. But it's a story that God gives us as a picture of the greater Joseph to come. Jesus. And what's really fascinating is that we, we can step back and observe the forgiveness of Jesus for his brothers and sisters and see these same five things. In the story of Jesus and his forgiveness, we, we experience astonishment because, because it's the God of all creation, the God of such infinite power and wisdom and splendor and glory and holiness, this God who is so authoritative and powerful that he can just speak a word and it happens. He can just say something and stars are hung in the sky and the universe and all of its expanse happens. And the moon hangs in the abyss and the sun centers there in the middle of the solar system, which is just one of billions in our galaxy and throughout the universe. And so we we see that this God created it all through the word of his power and he is holy and he is infinite. And we say with the psalmist, who is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him. Yet, what does he do? He is not just mindful of us. He doesn't just care for us. He reveals himself to us. As Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, his brothers were astonished. They were terrified. How much more that when the God of the universe reveals himself to us, are we met with astonishment and terror? How many times do we see in the pages of Scripture that when God, even in just the the smallest, minute of ways, reveals himself to his people, they fall on their face, and everything from terror to worship to astonishment happens. But this God 
who reveals himself to an infinite and sinful people invites us in. Joseph's brothers were astonished. They thought, they thought that this all-powerful Egyptian ruler who they had wronged would now exact his revenge on them. We have every right to believe that God would do the same. The all-powerful God, holy and infinite, has been wronged by a sinful and finite people who have rejected him at every turn, and we expect this is our moment to receive his wrath. And he meets us just like Joseph met his brothers. He says, would you come near? Come here. I am Jesus. Don't be angry or distressed with yourselves. Why? Because God's doing something. God's at work. The invitation to draw near is written all over the pages of Scripture. Listen to just a couple here. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But how? How could we even begin to draw near to a holy God? Well, there's only one way. Hebrews 10 lays it out for us. It says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, there it is. It's the only way, through the blood of Christ. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, nailed on a cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. The only way we draw near is through him with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We're astonished that God would reveal himself to us. We're invited in to draw near through the blood of Jesus, through faith in the sacrifice. We're aware that it's only through Jesus that this happens. We become aware as we are united to Christ through faith that all of Scripture is pointing to him, that all of our lives have been woven together. Every minute detail, every millisecond of our lives has been working in such a way through a sovereign God to lead us to Jesus that we might see and understand that life is only found in him. We become aware of the gospel, of the good news, of grace. We become aware of what we sang just a few moments ago, that grace prevails. And because we experience this grace, we're generous. We become a generous people because we have experienced the forgiveness of God in Jesus. Remember what happened with Joseph? He didn't just forgive them and tolerate them. He didn't just forgive them and dismiss them. He forgave them and he gave abundantly. He gave them the land of Goshen, the most fertile of all lands, and gave them all these wagons and food and riches and all these things. He just poured it out on them. And what do we see in the gospel? What do we see with Jesus? We see Jesus, the Son of God, the inheritor of all things that are God's, being given to Through faith in Christ, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. We're adopted into the family of God. He is our older brother who wins for us the inheritance. 
That everything that is his is ours. His death to sin becomes our death to sin. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His ascension becomes our ascension so that we may live with him both now and forevermore in the most fertile, awesome of places. And it's not called Goshen. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. He pours out generosity upon generosity upon generosity in the wake of forgiveness because this is the Jesus who died for us. Joseph didn't die for his brothers, Jesus did. And while he was dying, pulling himself up on the cross just to grab a breath, what did he cry out? What did he say? He yelled, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's his very nature to forgive. And so again, let me say, if we are united to Jesus by faith, he dwells within us, his very nature becomes our very nature. Lastly, intimacy. The Joseph story continues in chapter 46, and he gets to finally meet his dad again after 17 years. In chapter 46, it says this, Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept. There it is again, and I love that Moses, who authored this, he says this, a good while. Intimacy, but don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Intimacy with the Father can only come through the pardon of the Son. If Joseph had not forgiven his brothers, he would have never experienced that intimacy with his Father. It's only through the pardon in a much bigger story, narrative of redemption for us with Jesus, only through the pardon that comes through Christ that we get to bawl our eyes out, as it were, on the neck of the Father. To feel and know his embrace, to be forgiven, and to forgive as he has forgiven Do you remember the story of the lady who came and cried so much on Jesus' feet that she washed his feet with her tears? Remember that? You read about it in Luke chapter 7. She was presumably a prostitute outcast from the world around her. The Pharisees who were there in the room with him were judging her and Jesus. If he knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. She's unclean. They had these as thoughts. They didn't say it out loud, but Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said to them, hey, you didn't give me anything when I came in here. You didn't wash my feet, which is customary, but she did. She's anointing my feet with her tears. And then he says this. Simon, who was the Pharisee, who was judging, he said, Simon, remember this. He who has been forgiven much forgives much. So it leaves us with two questions for us to ponder as we leave this morning. One, Have you experienced the forgiveness of God in your own life? If you haven't, remember his invitation? Come near. Draw to me and I will draw near to you. It's only through the blood of Christ. Believe, repent, receive the forgiveness that is yours in Jesus. 
Second question is, if you are a follower of Christ and you have this forgiving Jesus, his spirit dwelling within you, who do you need to forgive like he has forgiven you? He who has been forgiven much forgives much. Many of us live in sin, not extending forgiveness to those around us. It's important to note, just to think about, just to make observation of, Joseph's brothers didn't ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we think, I'm not going to forgive until they come. And God's saying, no, I want you to forgive. Who do you need to forgive? How might you need to come before the Father and say, God, I've been living in sin because I've been harboring resentment. I've been harboring a grudge. And I am not forgiving someone who has wronged me. Forgive me and give me the power through Christ to forgive them. Father, would you give us that power? Give us the ability that only you can give us to forgive those who have wronged us. You know better than any of us ever will know what it is like to be wronged. You know better than any of us will ever know what it's like to forgive your enemies. You loved us so much that you laid down your life for us so that we may be forgiven. So teach us. Empower us, strengthen us to do the same. Forgive us when we're not that way. But our prayer is make us more like you. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.